Uh, I want to talk about today, we're talking about prayer. I want to talk about why we don't pray. I'm going to give you several reasons why we don't pray. And I'm going to give you several reasons why we should pray. Um, in the book of Luke, and I think Nina mentioned this scripture earlier, in Luke at chapter 18, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now listen to that. That we should always pray and not give up. And I think that that's a tendency that sometimes we have. I know that when I uh, first got saved, I started praying for my, my family, my mom and dad. And this is you know, a long time ago. Uh, but after two or three months, you know, I didn't know how this worked. And so I just quit and kind of got, honestly, got mad at God. I mean, they're still leave, living their, you know, their sinful life. They're drinking. And, you know, it's just like they're, they're far from God. And so I'm kind of like put out with God, like, you know, why aren't you doing something? And uh, we would go down uh, during the holidays and we'd visit with them. And, um, you know, I remember one of the first times that I got, I got saved, well, after I got saved, and the first, time, first encounter I had with them after my salvation, it was like, dude, I was on fire. And I mean, I just kind of hit the door like with a bang. And I was just like, you're all going to hell, every one of you. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, they didn't know what was going on. My, my dad's like, you know, nobody's going to talk to me like that in my own house. And, uh, but I wouldn't let up. I, I was relentless. And, you know, we're, you know, uh, preaching Jesus and teaching Jesus. And, you know, uh, but then, you know, we got the feeling. And I kind of, like I said, I was kind of a little bit upset with the Lord because he wasn't really answering my prayers. And, you know, um, next couple of times we went down, I kind of backed off a little bit. But I remember sitting at the table because before, you know, I mean, nobody's touching anything until we pray. And uh, they're, they're like all jumpy and everything, like, who is this guy? And, uh, but, you know, I, I stopped pushing, and I remember, you know, just sitting at the table, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to force it on them. And my dad said, aren't you going to pray? And their heart started getting softer. And we, we came to the place where we saw both my mom and dad come to the Lord. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to tell you, if you're praying for someone, if you've been praying for someone, I want to encourage you not to give up. Don't, men ought to always pray and not give up. Um, let me just read a few scriptures to you out of John and uh, give you a little history on this. In uh, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, um, you know, this, th those chapters really uh, take in about a 24-hour period. It's where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And then he's kind of giving them these last words of instruction. And the words that we see here, these scripture words that you see, and we'll, we'll be reading, they don't appear in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. They're only in John's gospel. It's the last words of Jesus, and it's the first time that he's ever said this. So listen up. Uh, I think uh, we'll find it interesting. Uh, from John chapter 14, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever. Listen to this. First time it appears, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Here it is again. You may ask uh, me for anything in my name and I will do it. The first time, this is brand new to, the, uh, to these disciples. Uh, Mark doesn't record it. Matthew doesn't record it. Luke doesn't record it. Right here in John's gospel, sandwiched in here between, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, 
Jesus is saying to the disciples something they've never heard before. When you pray to God, you pray to him in my name, in the name of Jesus. And then we see in John chapter 15, uh, he says it again, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And then we read again in John 16, and that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be complete. So I want to just, uh, you know, I mean, a great introduction right here. Uh, from Jesus to us, an invitation to us to continue to ask in his name. Let me give you a couple of reasons why we don't pray. And I'm going to just tell you that, you know, we would never say to God that I'm not going to pray. But it just kind of unfolds in our life. I mean, we get busy in the morning. We're out of the house before we've had time to open the word or time to pray to God. But let me give you a couple of reasons why we don't. First of all, we don't pray because we're complacent. Uh, And that simply means that we're satisfied We are satisfied with life and unaware of the dangers that are kind of lurking out there because we're not praying. I want to tell you that I believe that laws have been passed and judges have been appointed and politicians have been elected because the church slept. The church was quiet. The church didn't do anything. And we think that because it's happening over in California, laws that are being passed there are on the East Coast. We think that because laws are being passed there, they don't affect us. And so, you know, we just kind of quietly go through life and, and hope that those ungodly laws don't reach us. But we've become complacent. The Bible says, uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 25, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went on his way. And I want to tell you that I believe that while the church has slept, an enemy has come in and sown tares that we are having to deal with today. Now listen to this um, Old Testament scripture here. Uh, about being complacent, uh, being apathetic, uh, just kind of concerned about your own life. This is from uh, Old Testament prophet Haggai. He says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful ways or give careful thoughts to your ways. You have planted much, listen to this, but you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you're never filled. You put on clothes, but you're not warm, and you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your ways, or careful thought to your ways. And then God says, I want you to go up into the mountain and bring down some timber and build this house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much? But see, it turned out to be little. And what you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because my house, and I want to tell you that this this is God's house right here. He says, my house, because my house, which remains in ruin while each of you are busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, 
We've certainly seen that here in New Mexico. And we would talk about droughts and, you know, last year, year before last, I think it, uh, we had the, the greatest forest fire in the history of the state. Then one year later, we had one that superseded that, one that was even greater. Uh, we can sit by idly as the church and just kind of think, okay, well, we're, it's, La, you know, La Nina. Uh, you know, it's just the weather patterns. We just happen to be in a drought right now. We don't have to remain in a drought. I believe that the scripture says here that God said that he's withholding his due or the rain and the earth is crops. And we saw in the news all summer long that most of the Midwest, the, what we call the breadbasket, did not get the rain that it needed. And a lot of those uh, crops were uh, just dried and burned up because they didn't get the rain. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. And listen to what God says. I called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains and on the grain and on the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground produced on men and ca cattle uh, on the labor of your hand. And why did he do that? He did it because the church or Israel at that time was not concerned about the temple or rebuilding the temple. And I want to tell you guys that I think that, you know, we're all guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. We get complacent. I get concerned about, you know, my stuff, what I'm doing, what I need to do. And I put, kind of put God on the back burner. But remember Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. The things that he's talking about is our food, our shelter, our clothing. God says, he already, I already know that you have need of those things. But he says, put me first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these other things will be given to you. So we see in this passage of scripture in Haggai, in, uh, when, when the prophet spoke that word, it says that God gave the people a heart to kind of turn from their own business and begin to seek in God. I'm asking, we're going to ask for God. Let me, let me just tell you where we're going today. Okay, I'm going to share this message with prayer with you, but I'm not going to let you walk out the doors until we pray. Okay, we're going to, end, at the end of the service, we're going to break up in some small groups. I'm going to ask our worship team that's listening right now if they'll come back up at the end of the service and uh, play some kind of quiet music that we can, you know, some worship music that we can worship to and seek God's face as we uh, ask God to break some things off of this land and out of our lives. The second reason that we don't pray is because of unbelief. Matthew chapter 17 says, because of your unbelief, um, this, the background of this is the disciples were asking why they weren't able to cast out the demon. And Jesus said it was because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. And I want to just say this morning, I believe that many of you have a mountain before you. You're faced with a mountain and you don't know how to get rid of it. It won't go away. And I'm telling you that prayer... That steadfast, intense prayer will get that mountain to move. The third reason that we, we don't pray is that because we prayed before and we didn't get what we wanted. And so we become disappointed. Uh, we become discouraged and just say, you know, what's the use? Why should we pray? But look, notice what James says. James chapter 4, it says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may uh, spend what you get on your own pleasures. Guys, I want to just tell you that, man, I'm, I'm probably more guilty of this than anyone in this room. I have prayed for things. I prayed for, I've spent so much time praying for things on properties and houses and cars and ranches and all of this other kind of stuff. And you know what? God gave it to me. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I put God on the back burner and I think that God is showing me and I hope he's showing you this morning that uh, 
when we seek first the kingdom of God, that means making God our priority, putting, you know, putting God first in our life. I mean, how much time have we actually spent for revival to come, praying for revival to come, praying for a move of God in this nation, praying for our leaders and, and uh, praying for godly men and women to be in positions of authority? How much time have we actually spent doing that? You know, most of our prayers, if your prayers are a lot like mine, I would say that the scale tips in my direction. I'm praying more for my needs, more, more for this deal to go through, more for, um, you know, our finances. But the Scripture says that God knows that we have need of all of those things. All right, let me tell you why we should pray, all right? Because God is immutable. Uh, you probably didn't use that word in your uh, language this week. But it simply means that God is not changing and He is not able to change. God cannot change. He is not able to change. If God could change, that means that He could be better than He is right now. And God can't get any better. He can't change. Notice the Scripture says from Malachi, I am the Lord, I do not change. And then from Hebrews, it says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. He's the same yesterday. Same heart, same compassion, same tender mercies yesterday. Same uh, love that He had for the leper or the woman whose son had died. Same tender mercies and compassions 2,000 years ago. They're the same today. He has not changed. Now notice this. Because God hasn't changed, we read in Ezekiel chapter 20, he says that God is saying, this is God speaking, and He says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But listen to what God says. I found none. I couldn't find anyone that was willing to stand in the gap with me. God just saying, I would not have struck if I could have found one person to join me hand in hand to cry out for these people, I wouldn't have destroyed the land. One person to stand in the gap. He goes on to say that so I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger and bring down on their, their own heads all that I've done, declares the sovereign Lord. Remember when Abraham met God and God was on his way to Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy it. And Abraham was concerned about someone there that he loved, that he, that he had a heart for, he had compassion for. That was his nephew Lot. And so Abraham and God are walking, and, and Abraham just, you know, he's got the boldness, he's got the nerve to say, God, I need to ask you something. Will you destroy that city if there are 50 righteous people in there? And God said, no, I won't destroy it with 50. And so Abraham continues. He said, God, would you destroy it if there's 40 righteous people in there? God says, no, I won't destroy it if there's 40. He says, God, will you destroy it if there's 30 righteous people in there? And God says, no, I won't destroy it with 30. And Abraham says, God, would you destroy it? Would you destroy that city if there's 20 righteous people there? And God said, no, I won't destroy it. And then Abraham said, God, bear with me just one more time. Let me ask you one more question. Will you destroy it if there are 10 righteous people in there? And God says, no, I won't destroy it with 10 righteous people there. And as God continues on his way and Abraham looks back over his shoulder, he sees the smoke and the destruction rising from Sodom and Gomorrah. And apparently there weren't ten righteous people there, but God got out the righteous ones and the faithful ones. Another reason that we should pray, well, let me just share another scripture with you from 2 Peter. And we talked about God looking for a man. I'm looking for someone, and I believe God's speaking to some of you this morning. I'm looking for a man that would build up the wall and stand in the gap with me. It's very similar to what Isaiah wrote, I think it's in Isaiah chapter 11, when he says that 
he saw the glory of God. And God touched him with a hot cold. Isaiah recognized, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people with unclean lips. And uh, God touches him. And that signifies the healing of his lips, that his lips would no longer be unclean. And then God asked the question, who can I send? Who will I send? And Isaiah says, send me. Here I am, God. Send me. There was something that happened between the connection between God touching him and touching his lips, the coals touching him, his lips, and his heart's deciding or the, the decision of his heart to go. And Second Peter, when, no, when we know the heart of God, we know the, the will of God, then we can pray the will of God. But notice this, Second Peter chapter 3, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's the heart of God. God, he says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That doesn't please God. He said, you know, I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap. There's probably someone that you know that you can be praying for, you can be interceding for, that you can be crying out to God for. The second reason that we should pray is that because God is sovereign, that means that he has supreme authority and power. Now notice this. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 3, it says, you know the story that Jonah's running from God, he's running away from God, uh, but... After the whale or the big fish vomits him up, it says that Jonah begins. God was sending him to Nineveh and uh, with a message that Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Jonah didn't want to go. He's running from God, running from the mission. And we find out here uh, in, this, uh, in this text of Scripture why he didn't want to go. But first of all, it says that finally, after being you know, vomited out by the fish, uh, on the shore that Jonah obeyed the word of God and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. And on the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. And the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least, and put on sackcloth. The king called for a fast. I mean, it was just like they heard the word of God. We're thinking, you know, people aren't listening. They don't care. They don't care about God. But apparently there comes a time in, in some people's lives when they do care about God, they're concerned about the judgment of God. And when God saw, uh, or when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them, not bringing upon them the destruction that he had threatened. And when God did that, notice what happens to Jonah. He does what every prophet does in the Scripture who gives a word and then it's not fulfilled. I think that Jonah was looking forward to the destruction of Nineveh. Let the fire of God come. He was not like Abraham saying, God, will you save this city if there's some righteous people in it? Jonah was looking forward to the torching of Nineveh. And now he's disappointed. He says, but Jonah, greatly displeased, displeased with God and became angry and he prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why he was running. This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate. God slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. God, Jonah saying, I knew all of that about you. I know that you're good and you're merciful and you're compassionate and you relent from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my, um, take 
take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. I, I don't know what's, what's with Jonah. We'll have to ask him one of these days. But, I mean, Jonah had an attitude. All right. You know, this, I put this in, uh, you know, one of the reasons that we should pray uh, as the sovereignty of God. But let me tell you this, that sometimes we think about the sovereignty of God and we think, well, why should we pray? God's God and he's going to do what he wants to anyway. But that's not true. We see how, how God, and we'll see in this next passage of Scripture here, about the sovereignty of God, how, how God changes his mind. We talk about how God cannot change himself, but he can change his mind. His character will never change, but he can and he does change his mind. Notice this from uh, Jeremiah chapter 21 or excuse me, 29, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, uh, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to, me, to you. Listen to this. He says, you, another word for that is prayer. You will pray to me, or you will call to me and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found of you. And this is what the Lord says, who made the heavens and the earth. The Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. Now listen to what he says. Hear this. Get this deep in your spirit, okay? Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Now notice this next passage of Scripture from Exodus chapter 32. Uh, Moses has been up on the mountain with the Lord. He comes back down. The children of Israel have fallen into this great sin, golden calf. God wants to wipe them out. Uh, and the Lord says, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And then I will make you into a great nation. All right, here comes intercession right here. This is a man standing in the gap. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord as God. Oh, Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Now, notice what it says in verse 13. It says, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. That simply means, that word relented means that God repented. It means that God changed his mind from doing what he said that he was going to do. We see it over and over again in the scripture. Another example of that was Aaron. This plague had kind of come after the sons of Korah revolted against God and against uh, Moses and uh, Aaron and uh, Miriam. And they, uh, the sons of Korah, uh, Korah uh, just like, you know, who do you think you are? You know, you're not the only one that can lead these people. And God caused the earth to swallow some of them up and the people were upset. And God sent this fire to destroy the people. And I, I don't remember the number right off, but I think it seems like there was about, I don't know, 14,000, 140,000. Some of you Bible scholars out there remember the story? No Bible scholars here today? Okay. All right. All right. How about over here on this side? Anybody remember that story? All right. So anyway, but what happens? It says that Moses tells Aaron, he says, get your censer, your, your incense censer, and go and stand between the living and the dead. And that's what real intercession is. It's when you're standing there between the living and the dead. You may be standing there between those that are spiritually dead in your family. You know, you may think of those that are, you know, alcoholics or drug addicts or bad people. They're sinners. But you need to stand between the living and the dead and make intercession for them. I'm going to close this with this story about George Mueller. I don't know if you guys uh, know the history of him. 
but when he was uh, about 30 years old, uh, he was, uh, at that time, uh, and this is during the 1800s, it's that d- during that time, uh, a minister would work for the state, and the state would pay them, just kind of like a state government job, except you were a minister. Didn't even have to know God because he didn't. It says that he was living in deep sin during this time, when he's about 30 years old. But one evening, he was going home, and he stopped into a house that was having a Bible study, what we would call a small group meeting, and in that meeting, he gets saved. And uh, he gets radically saved. And so he goes home and he tells his dad, he says, I want you to send me to missionary school. But his dad said no. He says, you just take the state job and they'll pay you. And uh, he said, I'm not going to, even though his dad had the means to support him, he said, I'm not going to do it. And so George Mueller goes home and he prays for about two months. God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He's on his knees, fiercely uh, fighting and, and seeking God's face. And one day after two months, God says, go to the missionary school and get in line. And so he goes to the school and it's time to enroll. He's standing there in the line. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He's getting ready to come up to the guy that's got the pencil and the paper. And, you know, what's he going to say? And he said, at that moment, someone came and put a sum of cash in his pocket. And it was the exact amount of money that he needed to go to the missionary school. So after he graduates missionary school, he has a burden. God gives him a burden for a country. And, uh, He goes to the missionary board and asks them if they would send him to that country. You know what they said? They said, no, because in your past you were too great a sinner. Okay, get this? Paul wouldn't have been able to go either, I don't suppose. Um, But they said, in the past you were too great a sinner. We don't want to send you. And so you know what he does? He begins to pray. And he begins to seek the face of God. He prays for over a year and seeking the face of God. And uh, at the end of the year... God gives him a burden for a, a country and a city, and he goes there. There's only one church in the city. He goes there, and uh, he says uh, to the receptionist, he said, is the pastor in? And she said, no, our pastor resigned uh, last week. And he said, well, I just graduated from missionary school, and they said, good, you're hired. And so he starts preaching there. And after being there for a month or so, he realized that what the church was doing was they were renting pews, you know, so that the rich people had a good place to sit and the poor people had to sit in the back, uh, not like the bleachers here. Uh, but anyway, the, 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 the poor people sit in the back and they were kind of left out. He started preaching on tithing and not showing partiality. And uh, all of a sudden the church started growing and it's just an amazing story. Now, when he was about uh, 90, I think he was, uh, well, before that. Then, then the next thing that happened in his life after that church gets established, God put on his heart to start an orphanage. And he didn't pray, I mean, he didn't uh, make a plea. All he did was pray. He began to pray, God, you know, you put this on my heart. You know, we want to start this orphanage. We have no money. You know, God, can you help us? Help us. Show us what to do. And he said, all of a sudden, out of the blue, without making a plea to his congregation, that someone came up and gave him a lump sum of money and said, I believe that God wants me to give this to you to start an orphanage. And that was the beginning of a great work. There's no organization or no other individual that has started more orphanages than George Mueller. Uh, And at a time when, you know, in the 1800s, you know, this was above and beyond ties. 
But with just offerings, he raised $7.5 million in the 1800s to start these orphanages with and get them going. He lived an incredible life. He's an incredible man of prayer. A few days before he died, he was in his room, kneeling beside his bed. He's 93 years old, 93 years and eight months. Uh, he accepted the Lord when he was 30 years old in that, that small home. And he's kneeling beside his bed and praying. And his caretaker, a young man, listens to his prayer. And he heard him praying for a guy that had walked away from the Lord and walked out of his life 30 years ago. When George Mueller came to the Lord, his best friend said, you take God, I'm taking the world. And George Mueller prayed for him. And after he got up from prayer, the caretaker said, Are you, did, you, did I hear you pray? For that guy that walked away from the Lord 63 years and eight months ago, is that who you were praying for? And he said, yes. He said, I have prayed for him every day of my life since I got saved. For 63 years and eight months, I prayed for that man to come to salvation. About four or five days later, George Mueller died. And at his service, at his funeral service, the guy that he had been praying for showed up in the service. And after the service, he goes to George Mueller's grave and gets on his knees and gives his life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Men ought to pray and not give up. All right? Men ought to pray and not give up. All right, guys. Uh, if you can get my last PowerPoint on the screen here, I'm going to ask a keyboard player to come back. And anybody else that wants to come. And I want you guys, for the next, uh, we're going to take a few minutes, okay? And I, I just want you to just please bear with me. Because I believe that we are a nation in crisis right now. And we are a state in crisis right now. And I've got three prayer points that I would like, to, like for us to pray for. I want to pray that God would give us, would us, a new heart. Okay, all right. Uh, spell check. Uh, I want to pray that God would give us a new heart because, you know, as I think about why we don't pray, I'm betting that some of you in here could identify with some of those reasons, you know, why you didn't pray, discouragement or unbelief or complacency, and just ask that God would change our hearts. Give us a heart for Him and for His kingdom first. And then we want to pray for our nation and our, our, our leaders. Uh, we're in election year. We want God to raise up godly leaders. And then we want to pray for an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit.